Welcome to Us Only Younger. In this episode, I continue my conversation with Nigel Thurlow. Enjoy part two of our discussion. But that's really where I learned how to run and manage projects. When I was at British Midland, they had PMOs. They mm-hmm. had a lot of people called in from these consulting firms who were paid, again, extortionate amounts of money to, to create Gantt charts and other sort of evil products of demonic possession. And have us, but I learned all this stuff. And the fortunate thing was that one of my roles at a certain point they made everybody redundant. They laid everybody off. They sort of shut down the organization and they paid me a chunk of change. And part of that chunk of money they paid us was they would pay for education. Mm. So around the same time, I actually went off and got my Prince two certifications. Well, I hate the word certifications. I got my Prince two accreditation as a project manager, which is the equivalent of PMP in the US and Prince two use a little bit over in the states but much more predominantly in europe it's a government thing Mm -hmm. so i actually became a real project manager who knew how to make hideous documents using microsoft project and and things that would just pain people hurt people mentally and frustrate them endlessly Mm -hmm. so i became a project manager officially and then from there really i mean we're still talking in the late 90s early noughties here the 2000s and then I found myself myself by happenstance being recruited by Comcast, mm. who a lot of the folks in the States will know. Um, but they'd set up a smaller company in Europe at the time called Broadnet. And this was before we had broadband internet, mm-hmm. before we had what we call local loop connections. So the last mile between the telephone exchanges and the house is commonly mm-hmm. called, well, that connection is commonly called the last mile. There was no easy way of getting high-speed internet between these what we call points of presence and the businesses or the homes that wanted high-speed internet. The best you could get was ISDN, which was you know 128 kilobits. We're not talking megabits here. We're talking or gigabits. We're talking kilobits here, and we're talking okay. bits, not bytes. Remember, mm-hmm. bits, very small bits. And so the company had set up to deliver via radio mesh technology high-speed internet to company. Mm-hmm. Anyway, long story short, this was right at the beginning of the telecom boom, which about mm-hmm. 2000 to 2002, mm-hmm. and then there was the big telecom crash. I was this sort of project manager. I'd done a bunch of roles in the UK, and this American guy, Doug, remained a good friend, and I met up with him about a year ago, just before the pandemic, a year or so mm-hmm. ago, I guess now. And he was an American guy, and he was waiting for Comcast. He was living in Belgium. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was over in Luton, which is a place near London, for a wedding. And he pinged me and said, can you come for an interview? And I said, yes. And within two months, the house was being packed up and we were moving to Belgium. And this was around 2000 and just late 2000, just before the euro was launched. So it gives you some idea of the time. And so he hired me as the European IT manager to run the European rollout of all sorts of technology and all sorts of things, build out data centers, wide area networks, and lots of other things. And so I ended up over there. And of course, I was in Belgium, so I fully relocated to Belgium. And two years later, the telecoms sector completely crashed. It was one of the big major technology crashes, like the dot-com boom and crash. The telecoms sector crashed. And so 2002, I'm out of work. And I was actually one of the last five people of several hundred people to turn off, literally and figuratively turn off the light switches we left and managed to hang on being paid by them until the last minute. 
And I was literally walking out of the door when I got a phone call from an old friend of a company I'd worked for before. And he said, can you come over for a week and help us out? And he was back in the UK. For a year, I flew backwards and forwards between the UK and Belgium. Then suddenly I get a call from Toyota. With Toyota at this ding time. ding ding, <laughs> so the joining dots, and I because everybody knew Toyota because they're big presence in the UK. And so, I'd finished doing all this project management work for this company in the UK, even though I was still living in Belgium, flying backwards and forwards. And I'd done some other interim things down in Paris and various other things for companies. And uh, Toyota came a calling, so I went for an interview, which is the most bizarre and worst interview I've ever had, but it's become the most memorable interview I've had. And you think my interviews are hard, fam. Um. <laughs> My new boss at the time asked me three questions and they were stinkers. And so anyway, but I got the job as a enterprise architect. Oh my God. An enterprise architecture. And I spent roughly, you know, five years in Europe. But, and I tell this story a lot. And even I have slides where I tell this story to people and I present. For the first six months of taking the role, I was resigning. I walked into Toyota thinking they were the most crazy mad bonkers people i'd ever met i'd spent years being this really awesome project manager Mm. and having all these skills and capabilities and you know becoming more of a traditional manager slash project manager and program manager lots of words involving manager Mm -hmm. and uh i got to toyota and they started giving me all these pieces of paper which were a three size and for the americans 11 by 17 and telling me i had now to do everything visually one of the questions I was asked at my interview was you're presenting to somebody, but they're just not getting it. Whatever you do, they just don't understand. They're just not getting it. So what do you do? And the answer was draw a picture. Make now, it visible. Yeah. I, well, yeah, make it visible, draw a picture. Use mm-hmm. illustrations. Now, I've since learned because Toyota is a Japanese company and my work over the years with the Japanese have, have led me to being fully appreciative of the Japanese languages a pictograms are a visual language mm-hmm. and they don't tend to to read uh, yards of english words and so yeah. drawing a picture is much and of course we all know that visualization drawing a picture is the most important thing to help you convey a message to people i started getting all these a3 shoved in front of me and all this new way of doing things and i literally and i've told this story so many times for six months i would go home every night and resign I was resigning every day for six months. It was the most mental torture. Wow. I've come from this world of the, come from a techie world, and then I've been reasonably okay as a techie. I've been a developer, a programmer, a hardware guy, networks guy, blah, blah. And this was the day, you know, the days of Novell Netware and tools like that people don't remember anywhere anymore. And before Windows NT was a thing. And so I sort of fast forwarded into this world and I'm trying to get my head around this. And then one day, I don't know how, why, or anything, it just clicked. It Mm. just made sense. Mm. And I suddenly realized that the rest of the world hadn't got a clue what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the world were completely moronic. and Not to be horrible. And I I had discovered lean thinking, the Toyota way. And I discovered the Toyota production system. And the next five years, I always cite this before I went and left for the States. My next five years was the best paid training of my entire career. And I'm very fortunate to have had that opportunity, been exposed to the manufacturing. And I work for the manufacturing side of the company, which are the people who actually really know what the Toyota production system means and how all that sort of plays 
And so I had deep education, sometimes harsh education, because Man. there's a lot of things behind the scenes in Toyota. Everybody thinks it's this bastion of perfect respect for people and perfect lean process. Well, it's not right. And so there's the good days, the bad days. And mm -hmm. but I learned a tremendous amount. And mm -hmm. I know a lot of other colleagues of mine who went through the same baptism as I did and have benefited eminently for years since and still benefit from the education they received at Toyota. So that really changed my whole perception. Now, this time in Toyota, there was this thing being talked about that had been around for a few years, but nobody was really taking much notice of. And this thing was called Scrum. And of course, we're project management gurus by now. We're lean project managers. We're lean experts. You know, we're the Toyota. And I'm talking about enterprise architects. We sit in this ivory tower. We, we look down upon Middle Earth as if we're sort of the great wizard. And we proclaim, thou shall have said architecture. They call that safe now. Back then, it was enterprise architects. And we sniffed this thing called Scrum and we dismissed it very quickly. We just, nah, it's not for us. Mm. Toyota. And so dismissed it to that. And then, you know, I left Toyota. That was when the big recession was coming. So we're talking around 2010, 2011, when the whole mm -hmm. world was a little bit sooner than about 2008, 2009. The world took a big old dump and I was lucky to cling on for a bit longer. And then I had an opportunity, you know, to move to the States. We won't go into the detail of all of that, but... Mm -hmm. I did some work before I left Belgium for one of the clearing houses or one of the main clearing banks. I helped them do some major initiatives there and helped them. It was all lean based at the time. Mm -hmm. Then I moved to the States and I'd sort of by this point, obviously started to learn scrums, learn, learn a bit about this agile stuff that was hanging around. I'd had some familiarity with extreme programming mm -hmm. and I found myself in after various different moves consulting for the state of Massachusetts, which for lots of reasons was interesting and intriguing. But uh, during that, I met the head of the PMO. He was a really, really nice guy. He's retired now, but we became very good friends. Mm -hmm. And I started helping them on their sort of lean slash agile journey, which is always interesting because there's only one thing worse than working in governments, and that's working for banks. And I've worked for both of them. Mm -hmm. And um, are governments worse than banks? It's hard to tell sometimes. All politics. And so I did some work for the state of Mass. And then Tom at the time, Tom Skinner was his name. He said to me, hey, he says, we're getting this training on Scrum from one of the creators, this guy called Jeff Sutherland. And he says, it might be a good idea if you come along and sit in one of his classes and just listen to what he's teaching us so you can align what you're coaching us on with what we're learning from this guy called Jeff Sutherland. And oh, yeah, okay then. And so I turned up of a product owner class he was running uh, mm -hmm. downtown Boston. I was living in Massachusetts at the time, having moved there prior because I spent a good time, a chunk of time helping TJX out with uh, a bunch of lean stuff and project management stuff they were doing. Met some good friends there I maintain as well. And anyway, ended up uh, sitting in this class with Jeff. And one of the things that Jeff used to teach was A3 problem solving. Oh, boy. The dots and things. You, you can't make this stuff up, you know. No, you can't. <laughs> now, to be fair, he didn't teach it very well. And, and <laughs> to be fair. To be fair, he didn't. I did the best he could. And I did show him where his root cause analysis wasn't very good in, in his example. 
He's a Jeff's a brilliant guy, by the way, really clever guy, absolutely, absolutely. brilliant guy, mm-hmm. um, incredibly clever. So I uh, he asked me if I and this, remember I'm in this class. It's on day one. I've never met the guy before. I'm just over there's an observer where all these folks from the state of Macedon. He, he came over and he chatted to me and he said, "You got some Toyota stuff in your background? Yes. You know about eight threes? Yes. Would you mind teaching that section in the afternoon?" <laughs> So, Stop it. No, I'm not making this up. You oh think my I, was, God. I was a hard ass with you and the guys who worked for me when I threw you in at the deep end. So wow. and I went, yeah, all right. And so you get up and I, you know, this this module, this this section supposed to be 20 minutes. I ended up taking about 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. But I basically gave them a 40-minute crash course in how A3 thinking worked and A3 problem solving, which in the UK we used to call practical problem solving, of course better known as TBP or Toyota Business Practices nowadays in the sort of lean world. So I give this sort of overview of the A3 sort of approach. Everybody's like cheering and full of excitement. (laughs) And this started a collaboration with Jeff. So I I can talk about a bunch of stuff, but I mean, essentially after that, we started doing a bunch of stuff together. I taught, I helped, I developed some material for his classes, the strange symbols that he uses in scrum at scale, which are sort of the circle, triangle and the cross. They came out of my work at Toyota. I introduced them, used to credit me for them at one time, Mm -hmm. Um, but they're symbols that are used universally in Japan for Mm -hmm. red, green, amber or red, green, yellow sort of symbology. There's lots of reasoning behind that. Right. And so long story short, I started collaborating with him. I eventually stopped working for some other clients and actually consulted for Jeff solidly for a couple of years. I helped him in various different clients, GE and MIT and a bunch of others. And of course, the big work we did at 3M, which is really, in my opinion, the first time Scrum at Scale was ever used in Vengeance because we had to solve problems for 3M. Mm-hmm. And so some of it we made up on the fly and a lot of that became part of what is now Scrum at Scale matured somewhat since then but Mm -hmm. it is what it is and so I ended up hanging out with Jeff and uh, and of course got to know Ken Schwaber very well and my friend Dave West over at uh, Scrumall because he's a fellow Brit so we've become good friends and and of course I was credit accredited if you like by Jeff for teaching all his material Mm -hmm. through Jeff I was a CST for a while Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a deeper background story to that but we'll leave it at that I was a CST for a while Mm -hmm. and then uh, I eventually became a PST so I got accredited by Ken and mm-hmm. the reason I was able to say that I was the first guy to be accredited by both the creators of Scrum. It's a material fact. Yeah. Maybe I don't like that, I say, but it is a material fact. But, and then, of course, because I was doing all this work with Jeff and I got to know Ken and Dave and, and other things, and I was getting more and more known in the agile circles, especially with my lean underpinnings from Toyota, because really this is the foundational knowledge that a lot of these agile practitioners learn and and profess to know i suggest that some of them need to learn it a bit more the fundamentals but Mm -hmm. uh, because of that i was sitting in jeff's office one day and the phone rang and it was toyota Mm -hmm. except toyota in america living in america and uh toyota and basically it was our mutual friend would you believe abdul no. So, yeah, I'm not not making shout out to Abdul. Yeah, shut the front door. So, so our mutual friend Abdul picked up. Had been asked by a lady called Debbie. Remember Debbie West? So picked mm-hmm. up the phone, asked by Debbie and others, 
Jason Ballard, some famous names, some real good people in Toyota, had been asked to figure out, could somebody come and talk to them about Scrum? Because Toyota were thinking about doing this agile thing. No, you know, shock, horror, you see, yeah, you see how all this came full circle, yeah? Wow. And so we're on about doing this sort of agile thing, and I'm in the office. So who do you think starts taking over the telephone call and, and talking? Because I know these people. Wow. And, and long story short, you know, fast forward a few months and I'm in Toyota's headquarters at the time in California because they had a plane at that time in Texas. Right. And I'm giving a leadership workshop to my future boss, boss at the time, and my boss from my days in Toyota Europe. Wow. So Tim Platt, bless him. We lost him a few years ago. He, he got cancer. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we lost him. But so he was my first ever general manager, my mentor, and somebody along with others in Toyota in Europe who taught me how to do A3s and the Toyota way and everything. I mean, they really taught me for years how to do this properly. I owe everything to these people who mm -hmm. taught me these things. And just in case he ever listens, another guy called Mark Antrobus, he's still there. He's, I think he's a general manager in uh, his senior manager, maybe vice president level in Toyota mm -hmm. Europe now. But with him and with Tim Platt and others, I learned a tremendous amount of things over the years. And so suddenly I'm now back in Toyota in the biggest site in the world. I mean, America's the largest market for Toyota globally. And I'm teaching the people who taught me. That's and I'm so teaching funny. them strong and wow. agile concepts. And I'm teaching them how all this interconnects and intertwines with Toyota, with lean thinking, with TPS with the Toyota way, Zach at the time, you know, our boss, you know, our big boss in later years, mm -hmm. he stood up and said, he says, you know, and he actually said, you know, I was very, you know, humbled by what he said. And I'm still proud of what he said. He said that we get a lot of people coming into Toyota who said they used to work at Toyota and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But they often are a lot of hot air and they don't actually know what they're talking about. And he says, and he actually said this was one, this is the best ever training from an external person he'd ever taken. And so I was incredibly proud of that. A few months late, so in the interim weeks, we negotiated a deal with Toyota where I would take a team of people in under Jeff's auspices mm -hmm. and start teaching Scrum throughout Toyota North America and bringing in these agile sort of approaches and helping blend that with the Toyota way. And it was through, you see where this is going now, it's through my work with the stuff I did that I came up the the whole concept of Scrum the Toyota way, which was really okay. the how the lean and the agile worlds fit together, come together, interconnect, intertwine, and how they influence each other, and why it's not one or the other; it's it's a symbiotic relationship between them. And just for the people who may listen to this and go, Toyota never used the word lean, then you've never worked at Toyota because everybody who works at Toyota uses the word lean. There's no hang-ups with it. The right. only people who seem to have hang-ups with it are the people who've never worked for Toyota. That They're like fans. They sort of protect the name of Toyota, even though they never worked. Then I always find that really strange, but, you know, weird. But it's okay. I mean, lean is a word we can use. It came from a guy called John Kraftkick, who's the CEO of Waymo now. It was just in a meeting with the Lean Institute. They came up with the name when they were just scrambling for something to call Toyota's management system when they were making a presentation. Right. The, the MIT backstory with Jim Womack. Mm -hmm. The folks in Toyota don't mind using the word lean. It's always amused me that everybody, they think it's like this bad swear word, this blasphemous word to use in Toyota, and it's just nonsense thinking. So anyway, 
we start doing this, I start to formulate these ideas. And then eventually, after consulting back with Toyota for a, a few years, I sort of went to see the man who would become my boss and said to him that, yeah, I was living in Boston still. So I'm flying backwards and forwards. And, you know, people don't realize mm-hmm. it's a five-hour track or trek to a buy aircraft, plus all the waiting around and stuff, commuting to get to Texas. By this time, they'd moved from Torrance in California to Texas. So I was commuting initially to Torrance, which was brutal, and then committing to Texas, which is almost as brutal. And then, of course, the flights back to the East Coast are almost like red-eye flights because you lose so much time heading back the other way. Right. So my life was getting pretty miserable. I haven't told this story to a lot of people. I asked to see Zach, who would become our boss. And uh, while I was waiting for him, I was in a side room with a big white wall, one of these walls that you can white, write on with whiteboard pens. So it's like a giant whiteboard. And I mm-hmm. actually drew an A3. On the wall, I did a whole visual drawing of the proposal I was about to pitch him was that he should hire me. You used an A3 to an A3 pitch stuff. a job? That is yeah. so cool. And, um, wow. and so I did. I pitched the whole thing on an A3 visual on his wall. That is and so Two perfect. months later, I was announced as the chief of Agile at Toyota Connected. And you moved and, to Texas. Uh, and, of course, then we evolved Scrum the Toyota way. It was something that I got permission from Japan things you have to do that we got permission from japan to do the thing we did which was to create uh, the toyota sort of professional consulting that we could take externally and right. teach these sort of scrum and agile concepts and scrum the toyota way to other companies which we did mm-hmm. and we taught hundreds of people and uh, more than hundreds of people i mean across the toyota campuses of course globally we taught this both right. in japan and we taught it around various different toyota campuses in europe in the usa we talked to thousands of people internally. You yourself were able to teach this by the time we got there and you were teaching people as were lots of the other team, like our good friend Tyler and Roger and Dan will throw a few names in there, you know, That's just right. edit them all. And so everybody started teaching the material I'd generated and created. Some of it I'd bought into the company. Some of it, of course, was unique to the Toyota message. And we started teaching this externally to a lot of companies and, and people were queuing up all day long. But by the end of 2019, I realized that I'd taken what I wanted to do as far as I could do. And I'd already started then working with the University of North Texas, mm-hmm. Professor John Turner and my uh, other good friend, Brian Ponch Rivera. We mentioned Ponch earlier in this conversation. Well, yeah. we'd all got together and we'd spent many weekends in my dining room in Texas with post-it notes all over the dining room wall, coming up with what would become the flow system. Right. Of course, the rest is sort of history. And I got to the point where I realized I'd gone as far as I could do with Toyota. And I think they were fed up with me as much as I was probably fed up as them at the time. And, and I decided it was time to leave and devote my energies totally to the work we've mad now been doing. And I resigned just before the pandemic, which meant my weak signal detection, something I talk about a lot, was pretty crappy. So, of course, like everybody, we've taken the punch that has been the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But I'm pleased to say that, you know, with releasing the book and the sales of the book have been very strong and the interest in the work we did and how it's evolving beyond Scrum the Toyota way, although that's still part of it, Mm -hmm. evolve and we're helping to evolve the amazing foundational work from Toyota in in the TPS, Toyota Production System and the Toyota way. 
we bought into it some of the foundational and just mind-blowing work of prof you know dave snowden and other professors yep. around him and people in the complexity thinking industry and to show them where that all fits and of course now these new aspects of leadership and team mm -hmm. science which yep. john turner is bought in bucket loads to this model or this, mm -hmm. this system of learning and understanding and of course our great friend brian ponch with his years of service in the u.s military and bringing his phenomenal knowledge of high performance teaming and high reliability organizations so that's really brought you full circle in a very brief -ish. oh yeah very brief sort of time but yes. it's i mean there's lots of other stories i could tell that make your hair curl even more than it already is but it's uh that it's was great sort of the general journey um but i can tell you now that it's it's been a fast fascinating time and and there's a lot more to come there's some Excellent. fantastic stuff coming in the next couple of years i promise you pam back that's to great. you that's great i think i want to ask you one more question because you know, people write to me and ask me, you know, I want to be a scrum master. What should I do? Or I want to be a PO or I want to get into this or, you know, I, they won't hire me unless I have the experience to do X. So I would really love to hear your answer to someone who may discover lean and agile or the flow system or whatever it is and decide, I really want to do this, but I don't know anybody in the industry. Like, what do you recommend? Do you have two or three suggestions for them so they can start down the path? And then that will be it, Nigel. We will be done at that point. <laughs> oh, I know. Okay. These conversations always tend to exceed your allocated ex estimation of time. But it's fine. 